The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, let me welcome you here. My name is Ryan Church. And I'm one of the pastors on staff here at UPC. It was great to see so many people raise their hands when we asked who was here for the first time. And I I want to give a special greeting to those uh, who are freshmen coming in for the first time. And and just tell you congratulations for finding the end and and making what I certainly hope you find to be a, a great decision. I've read the study that that talks about how college freshmen... Uh, in the choices that they make in the first two weeks that they are in this new environment, that they are on campus, wherever that may be, uh, 80% of those decisions that they make in the first two weeks, they will be making four years later. Um, 80% of those, the same decisions. So uh, my hope is that uh, for those of you that are freshmen, uh, in four years, we will still see you here. Uh, and th- this will be a place that you can belong and find home. But to all of you, I say welcome. It's always an exciting time of year to come back to the end, to, to get things started, to be together. Uh, and, and this year is, of, of course, no different. And in fact, I feel like there's a special buzz um, in here tonight. And so I'm, I'm excited uh, that, we, that we're ready to go and get the year started. Um, I got to tell you that I have a, my wife Julie and I have a little two-year-old red-headed little guy named Carson. I know, I know. You just, you just want to pick him up and squeeze him. And he is just a little bundle of joy. He is uh, fascinated by any sort of train, truck, or ball that you uh, put in front of him. And uh, he's, he's got a ton of energy. So all that to say, I don't get out much anymore. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's why, imme- uh, why dads immediately plummet on the cool factors, because we just can't go out anymore. Um, although, uh, in spite of the fact that, that my cool factor may, may have, have dropped, one of our interns, Amber, the one from Tennessee, the one that enjoys fake falling, has assured me that she still thinks I am cool, but the other interns are yet to make... Uh, and what I mean is the interns from here. They have not yet made that same affirmation, so we'll see how long I can keep the wool pulled over Amber's eyes. But all that to say, when you have a little two-year-old, especially one that uh, enjoys golf like Carson does and just is as cute as this little guy is, you don't get out uh, as much as, as you used to. So it's a treat when you're able to go out and take in a movie or something like that. And this summer, Julie and I had the opportunity to do just that. I know you guys are like, wow, this guy's excited about getting out to go see a movie. Well, yes, I am. I'm exactly excited by, about that. And one of the movies that we got to see was this, this great movie, Inception. Now, I thought... I thought that it was a great movie because on so many different levels, it had me asking the question of what is reality? Can I really believe what I see and what I experience? You know, one of those where, you you know, I walked out of the movie and, and it's on my mind, you know, things like, was the sushi that I ate before this movie real? Was, or, or was that just a dream? Or, or maybe 
that sushi, that, that sushi was actually in Julie's dream. Or, you know, and then I started thinking as I get in the car, well, maybe that sushi wasn't even sushi. It was actually a hamburger, but I thought it was sushi or I dreamt it was sushi. In any event, it was a movie that had you questioning what is real anyway. Now, the other thing that I saw this summer that made a mark on me was something that I didn't need to find a babysitter to see. I simply needed to come to work. Now, Becky, Becky Riggers, the communications maven of you men, keeps me sharp on, on such things. And what she showed me was this thing that's now famous to the tune of 16 and a half million views. And that's popularly known as the Double Rainbow video. Okay, I think I was viewer like 1,534,210. But it's this video. How many of you guys have seen Double Rainbow? Okay, yeah, a lot of you are in that. Okay, and, and when I first saw this video, I found myself at first kind of bewildered. And then I started laughing. And then I actually, I actually found myself like mildly emotional. Like, like seriously, like somewhat jealous that I could not experience what this guy who we now know, his name's Yosemite Bear, that I could not experience what he was experiencing. Like, like, no, honestly, I was like, I didn't know if I should keep laughing or if I should actually like cry or something like that. He, this guy was, was seeing something that clearly I could not see. And, and clearly our culture is fascinated by whatever experience this guy, Yosemite Bear, had. And as he looked at these double rainbows, he kept asking this question, what does it mean? What does it mean? It's an incredible video that cliffhanger. We're actually going to take a little closer look at it a little bit later on tonight. Now, that is a question that we are going to continue to ask a lot this quarter. What does it mean? Because what we're going to do this quarter is what I'd like to think is a little bit of, of a biblical inception. That is, we are going to get into the dreams and the vision of this first century pastor for the purposes of seeing what these dreams and what these visions might tell us about living in the year 2010. We're going to read through the book of Revelation together. And it is an opportunity for each of us and for us as a community to gain insight beyond the reality that is simply right in front of us. To challenge that because maybe there's more than meets the eye. Maybe there's more than this. Maybe there's more for us to see. Now, it's okay if you're sitting out there a little bit skeptical going, Ryan, Inception was fiction and the double rainbow guy is crazy. What do you think looking at somebody's dreams and somebody's vision is actually going to do for us? Now, as some of you are aware, this last book of the Bible has some, uh, some fantastic and truly bewildering imagery that left even some of those in the first century rather confused. So to the degree that we might find ourselves confused, we're in really good company. For example, there are four creatures with eyes in front and in back. They have six wings that we'll see in chapter four. We see a lamb opening scrolls that loose these guys that we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Horses 
with heads like lions, a beast that has horns like lamb and speaks like a dragon. Because we all know what a dragon sounds like when he speaks. These are crazy, go-nuts images that leave us asking the question, what does it mean? Now, honestly, I don't know what it all means. But my hunch is that it means that there is more than meets the eye. And mainly that I think it means that Jesus is bigger and more powerful than we think, than we're able to see. Ultimately, as we journey into this very complicated book, there is one lens that you need to have as we seek to engage the rich symbolism and imagery and meaning of this book. Bible professor Daryl Johnson recalls uh, a story of a group of people who were playing basketball at the seminary. And, and as they were playing basketball, the janitor is sitting off to the side reading his Bible. And in between games, these seminary students stop and they strike up a conversation with the janitor and, and ask him, what, what are you reading? And the janitor says, well, I'm, I'm reading Revelation. And these seminary students kind of chuckle to each other. Seminary is like a, a Bible graduate school. These seminary students kind of chuckle to each other and, you know, then, then respond back and say, well, what do you think Revelation is about? What do you, what do you think it means? And the janitor pauses and thoughtly, thoughtfully responds a, a moment later and says, it means that Jesus is going to win. It means that Jesus wins. And so the invitation that I want to give to you this quarter is for us to journey to see how big Jesus wins. To see exactly what it is that Jesus wins. To see what it means for Jesus to win the world and to see what it means for Jesus to win you. Let me pray for us as we get into this tonight. Gracious God, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, Lord, what you would say to us as we look at this text that is so confusing and yet so rich. We come tonight, each one of us, including me, because we want to know you more. We want to know truth. We come because we want to know who we are and how we can be people who are faithful citizens of your kingdom as we go about life in this, the fall of 2010. So help us out, Lord. Help us out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here we go. Before we get into this, I want to give you a couple of tips, a couple of insights that might help you grasp this text better. And, and the first is this, that this text is actually three types of genres rolled into one, which is why perhaps it gets a little bit confusing for us. So it's three in one. First type of genre that it is, it's a letter. Okay? Now, most of us feel pretty good about that. Specifically, it's a letter from this pastor named John who is stuck on an island writing to a group of churches on the mainland. Quite simply, it's a letter from a first century pastor to a group of churches that he was pastoring. John was a real person in a real place writing to real people. 
Now, it's not a stretch to say that if John were trying to get this message out today, if he were trying to communicate it today, he would have used something like an email or a podcast or some sort of contemporary medium that, that could get things out quickly and efficiently. But believe it or not, a letter would have been the most efficient way to get this message out in the first century. The back end of the New Testament is a series of letters, and the one that we're going to look at throughout this quarter is actually the longest letter in the New Testament. So first it's a letter, but it's also a prophecy. Now here's what I want you to catch around this whole idea of prophecy. It does not so much imply prediction as much as it implies a declaration. When you think about prophecy, get away from any notion of of a type of of fortune telling. Rather, a prophecy is a message spoken for God. So John is writing this prophetic letter not to get his way. It's not merely his vision, but he's trying to communicate something that is this, this bigger truth about who God is. It's not John's message. It's God's message. It's Jesus' message. Now, most often what happens is a prophet is delivering a message that people, by and large, are not hearing or not doing or not seeing. He's trying to get a point, an important point across about who God is and who Jesus is. Now, a prophet is never speaking anything new. And in fact, in all the bewildering things there are about Revelation and all the things that confuse us, everything that Revelation is about can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. So we'll often, throughout this quarter, be going back to those pages in your Bible that kind of stick together because most people never read them, otherwise known as the Old Testament. Everything from from Revelation is comprised in the previous 65 books. Books of the Bible. Finally, and probably the most intimidating word for us, is apocalypse. Now, this is the word that is actually translated revelation. So what is revelation? Stay with me here because this is going to be important for you to understand as we look at this this quarter. Revelation is simply this. It's an unveiling or a disclosure. Now, sometimes we allow Revelation to be intimidating because we think about Revelation as something so fantastic and mind-blowing, but it's actually intended to bring clarity. It is an unveiling or a disclosure. For me, the most prominent image that comes to mind in that is this image um, of a a bride walking down the the aisle that has this veil that, that somehow blurs the image of who she is. And then when she gets up to the front with her bridegroom and that veil is taken off, that which was fuzzy becomes clear. It's an unveiling or a disclosure. Now, it's done in a spectacular way, but here that the whole idea of an apocalypse, of a revelation, is to actually help us see things clearer, not fuzzier. In some ways, I like to think about, the, about revelation being the HDTV of the Bible, of the New Testament. And I'll let you determine uh, throughout this quarter if that's true or not. So... Now that you've heard about this piece of literature that is this prophetic apocalyptic letter, let's take a look at the first eight verses. That's all we're going to try 
and, and take on tonight. So, uh, you can follow along on your screen. Feel free to bring your Bibles every week. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, um, or if you've just been looking to pick up a new one, we have Bibles that are free here every week. Feel free to pick one up. We'd love for you to have a Bible in your hand. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, it says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father to him. To Jesus be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Let it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Two reflections and two applications that I want to share with you. We'll start with these reflections. First, as I noted before in this prophetic, apocalyptic letter, it is less about these crazy visions that this, this book is often known for and more about Jesus. Now, a lot of you, some of your Bibles may call this book the Apocalypse of John or the Revelation of John. But if we look closely at those first two verses, we see that this book is all about Jesus. If you're going to call it the revelation of anything, we have to call it the revelation of Jesus. It's the unveiling, the uncovering from Jesus, of Jesus. So here's what I want to toss out at you as we journey through this over the quarter. I want to look at Revelation as a type of fifth gospel. You see, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get this great view of Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. What Revelation shows to us, better than any other book of the Bible, any other book in the New Testament, is how Jesus is right now. The book of Revelation shows us how Jesus is right now more than any other text in all of Scripture. When we hear about this one who was and is and is to come, we understand that what John is saying is he's talking about the one who is present for all time. That is to say, what this shows us is the Jesus who is present in 2010. 
What this shows us is the Jesus that is present and is in fact with you and with each of us. These opening words show us just that. That he's going to be sharing with us a Jesus who is present and he wants us to see that right up front. He's establishing this case that Jesus is alive and well and Jesus influences things. He does so even now. Second reflection is this. John notes, blessed is the one who hears these words and takes them to heart. Now, these are words, he's saying, these are words not for us not to just read and kind of go, wow, that was cool. <laughs> that was some crazy dream that John had. We all have crazy dreams, right? I mean, I have crazy dreams. I've had some crazy recurring dreams. In fact, I had this, this recurring dream that I would have as a kid. I grew up in, in Port Angeles, Washington. And as a kid, I would have this, this dream where I was I was at the top of this hill and and I was I was sledding and I'd get started on the top of this hill and and I'd get going down this pretty steep hill on this on a gorgeous sunny day with snow on the ground and I'd get going and I'm thinking oh this is awesome I'm sledding it's a steep hill I'm going fast but then I would realize I can't stop well, when I was a kid growing up on the Olympic Peninsula in a giant windstorm, there's this, this bridge that goes out to the uh, peninsula called the Hood Canal Bridge. And this bridge got knocked down in this giant wind, windstorm. And, you know, the bridge like went into the water and whatever. And apparently that freaked me out because in my dream, in this recurring dream, I'm sledding down this giant hill that's on the west slope of Highway 104 on the Olympic Peninsula and I can't stop. And sure enough, I keep going, I come onto the Hood Canal Bridge, and I go off, and at the moment I hit the water, I wake up, and every time I wake up, I had fallen out of my bed. Okay? Bizarre, bizarre dream. Now, aren't you glad that's not in the Bible? Although some of you are probably going, actually, Ryan, I'm a psych major. That's way easier to interpret than, than Revelation. It's crazy to think that we are interpreting dreams. But you see, John is not sharing with you some recurring dream that he had about sledding. John is sharing with us a vision of Jesus. And he says, listen to, to what this vision is. Because it's a message that has come to him from an angel. There is something you need to hear about this. Did you know that this is the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing for those who read it. Now to be fair. We have to go. We have to, to weigh heavy. A warning that comes. A little bit later on. In this book. It's a warning in chapter 22. It says this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If any one of you adds anything to them. God will add you to the plagues described in this scroll. And if any one of you takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from you your share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which are also described in this scroll. Here's what we're getting at. This is a discipleship book. This is not something that is intended to just be written down and then go, oh, that's interesting. 
There is something in this book that we need to hear. And this warning says, let this text be what it is. And what this text tells us, quite simply, is that Jesus wins. What John's warning us here is of over-interpretation. Now, in a noble desire to to know what this book means and to know what it says, I think historically the church has perhaps gone overboard in trying to figure this out. But one of the the pastors here at UPC, uh, a guy named Earl Palmer, used to say that when it comes to interpreting revelation, lean over luxurious is a good principle to follow. And I love that because one of my life statements is less is always more except on paychecks and pizza. So we're going to take a less is more, a lean over luxurious approach to interpreting and asking, what does this dream mean? Because it means more than a recurring dream about sledding. This tells us something about God. Now, John quickly gives us his primary view that we are are to have of Jesus. John first invites us, did did you catch that in in verse uh, 4? He says, grace and peace to you. Perhaps some of you were on edge as you you hear the harsh words that come out of Revelation 22. But he starts by saying, grace and peace. And then he goes on to describe Jesus as the, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and who has set us free by his blood. Friends, that's the image of Jesus that we can't get too far away from as we engage this text in the last book of the Bible. That is the primary opinion of of John and how he wants us to know Jesus. It's the thesis Jesus statement of Revelation. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this as people reading this text 1,900 years after it was originally written? I think that there are a couple of key discipleship lessons that are both true for reading this book and they're true for living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Two things. First, look, look, see, behold, keep your eyes open. That is the refrain of Revelation. As we read through this, we have to continually ask the question, what is it that John saw? What did he see? And we ask that question hoping that we might catch the same vision of Jesus. Look and look again. Now, to illustrate this point, I want to show you the first minute of Yosemite Bear's moment with the double rainbow. Okay. Now, as we look at this, as we look at this, I want you to listen to how his description of what he sees keeps changing. Okay, so take a look and a listen to my friend Yosemite Bear and his experience with the double rainbow. Go ahead. I still think my favorite line is when he goes, it's starting to look like a triple rainbow. He cannot believe his eyes. He cannot believe what he is saying. And he starts by by just saying, oh, rainbow, rainbow. And then it becomes double rainbow, double rainbow. Oh, full on, double rainbow, triple rainbow. 
What we just saw was the first minute of something that goes on and on. And that's what adds to what, what kind of contributes to the ridiculousness of this because it's just sound bites that you cannot make up. Becky has this app on her iPod Touch and it is a classic that just goes over and over these sound guides, these sound bites. But as I acknowledged earlier, there's something in me that as I listen to this video, where I just go, he's seeing something that I can't see. There's an appreciation that he has that I don't have. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to throw some new agey thing out there at you, but this is what I'm getting at. When was the last time that you were that excited about Jesus? When was the the last time that you were that excited about seeing something that Jesus had done? When was the last time that you looked and kept looking and kept looking to see the work of God in the world and then respond with, with sheer ecstasy? Look and look again. If you have been following Jesus your entire life, keep looking and look again. If you have been burned by the church, look and look again. If you feel that failure has somehow voided you, look again. If you are in a season of intense doubt, look again. Again, if you're in a season of intense faith, look again. You see, John wants us to keep looking. Because he's saying, there's more there than you think. What I'm talking about, this Jesus is spectacular. You think a double rainbow is spectacular. John is saying, look again. Keep looking. Forty times in Revelation, John says, I saw. Revelation 1, beginning at the verse 7, says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of earth will mourn him, and so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. My second reflection is this. Use your imagination. That we might be able to see one coming on the clouds. We have to use our imagination. If you have been a part of the church for a long time, you need to hear this. You need to engage your imagination in how you think about the faith. Over the years, the church has done a great job about uh, taking our Bible seriously. But sometimes in our quest to be biblically faithful, our imagination is stunted. That's one of the reasons that reading Revelation is so hard for us, because we forget to use our imaginations When it comes to thinking about Jesus. You can think about this right now. When was the last time you really used your imagination to think about what was possible in a relationship with Christ? 
thought of something like a cell phone or an iPod when I was in high school was more or less unthinkable. That was not that long ago. Imagination is what moves us to see how we can get away from wires and audio tapes to do something different, to do something greater. Let's use an imagination like that to see how we might come to a huge imaginative understanding about the love and power of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. I think one of the gifts of revelation to us is this invitation to use our imaginations, to set the bar high. Have you imagined what Jesus might do in your house this year? Have you imagined how Jesus might heal your family or free you from addiction? Have you imagined how Jesus might bring sight to the blind and nourishment to the poor? We have the opportunity to think bigger about God, but to do it, we have to engage our imaginations and allow God's Spirit like that spirit showed John, how much more present and powerful Jesus is than John thought. Without imagination, your view of God will always be too small. Without imagination, your view of God will always be too small. So friends, as kingdom citizens, We are people that look. We are people that use imagination. So let's do some biblical inception together this quarter. Let us open our eyes again and again and use our imaginations as we seek to discover and grow in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, would you help us out with this? Lord, we, we need your spirit to guide our imaginations. We, we want to know you more. We want to believe in you and what you can do more than we do right now. And so, Lord, would you bless us as we go through this this quarter? We know that you have something in this for us. So, Lord, keep our eyes and our imaginations open that we might be sensitive to your Spirit's leading in our lives and in our communities. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.